Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Get your fix on the morning spiel right here on 1033 WKMZ. The morning spiel rolling on this morning. And, uh, you know, if I had my druthers, you know, 9 a.m. is just a little bit early for me, guys. I don't know about you. We're talking about favorite work shifts. I remember another one I had. I worked at a video store for years and uh, when I was in college and high school. And uh, my favorite shift, I would roll in at uh, 4 and be done by 10. Yeah, it was like 10, 10, 15, 10, 30. Depends on how quickly you finish closing. But like 4 to 10. That was also that was another great Great shift. Uh, joining us now, we have Mike Osti, the managing editor of WestVirginiaSportsNow.com and the host of the Mike Drop podcast. What's going on, man? How are you? Not much. I'm doing well. And yeah, we started that conversation off the air a little bit with my baby daughter sleeping in until a few minutes ago. She's but on she <laughs> did the 7 p.m. until 9 a.m. sleep. And for any parents out there, I will say... My daughter is a champion of sleeping. She she sleeps through the night like a champion. So be jealous of this situation. <laughs> it's a true blessing. I've I have uh, I have heard that is not an easily accomplishable feat. So uh, uh, no, I, I've heard from parents that it can go all the way till four years old until the kids start sleeping. And what I honestly think occurred is my hypothesis here is. She never really got interested in pacifiers. Like she would, we would use them a little bit. And anytime we had to take her to the doctor because she had different things going on earlier in her life, they would try to put a pacifier in because she would cry. But she never really took to a pacifier. She never liked it. So I do hear from other parents that a lot of the time the baby gets up if they sleep with a pacifier and whenever the pacifier goes out of their mouth. But she's never really slept with a pacifier. So there's nothing to disturb her. We have a sound machine on. She has a nice, comfortable room. There's no pacifier. She has plenty of room to roll around. She has a sleep sack. It's fantastic. Yeah. Hey, uh, so I got to ask you then, what was your best work shift, like your favorite work shift where you were just like, you felt good when you were on your way in? Because you know that feeling? Like there's a certain time that's like perfect for you where you roll in and you're like, man, I'm like ready to work right now. Because like I, I never feel ready to work when I arrive at, at, at 9 a.m. Like, like, usually, like, I'm ready to work at, like, 11.30, noon, maybe even later than that. And then, I'll, then, I'm, then I'm rolling at that point. Then I'm, 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 I'm a machine. But uh, it takes me a little while to wind up. What was your perfect work shift? It, it probably depends on which point in my life. So back when I was a teenager or so, I did have a 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. shift. And while well, now, as an adult, that would be horrendous, I loved that then because I could sleep in. I could kind of do whatever I wanted. And then I would certainly be in there driving in once I, I think I was old enough to drive at the time. What was the job? The music, you know, not a care in the world. And then when you get off 11 p.m., and I believe I closed a, a grocery store gas station, like a get go type of thing. Gotcha. Even though it was not gotcha. Johnny Eagle was not get go. I think it was Shopping Saves. And I would get off, close it up. And then at that age, you still had time. You call some friends, and you're able to, you know, hang out a little bit, even if your family thinks you're, you know, supposed to be coming home. So that was cool then. I did have an adult shift that, at the time, was rough because it was a young adult. But now I would appreciate into my 30s of a 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. shift, 
when I uh, worked for a, a journalist here in, in the Pittsburgh market, Marty Griffin, and that was rough. But it was rough going in, and then was really great to be done. Like I, the person that would come in to relieve me, I always did have a sense of, "Yep, your day is over, or, or your 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 day in your life is over because you have nothing you can do the rest of this day. You're stuck here now. You got to follow this, you know, this news and and try to create something viral of everything going on to appease Marty. I'm done, and I have the rest of my day. You kind of would feel that, like the person coming in to relieve you." You kind of feel like, yeah, I'm done with this shift. You're starting it. So that was cool then. I will say my favorite probably is now, though, just because of the way of the world today. Yeah, it's. It, I don't really have a shift as a, as a multimedia journalist where it's kind of just, you know, it can be 9 to 5, but if uh, breaking news occurs at 11 p.m., like covering that review, it sometimes does, then I'm working then. But I can do a lot of work from home. So, like, you're talking about driving in. If I had to drive in, like, I used to have to drive in at 8 or 9 and go somewhere, then that would obviously, yeah, even though it's 9 to 5, that would suck. But having to be able to be home, it's not as bad. Yeah. So <laughs> even though it, it sucks getting up, I don't the, eliminating the drive to and from, that is a big deal. Uh, hey, I'm all about all about non-traditional working schedules uh, for folks. So I'm 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 a big fan of that. Hey, so let's uh, let's dive into it does some suck Friday Friday night though at 11 p.m. when uh, WWE breaks some news. <laughs> well, that, that is not fun. that happened almost all through last. Week. I was gonna say that was the that was your your uh, spring and summer was with Mountaineer basketball. It felt like that was constantly right. happening. Uh, yeah, so that, that is not <laughs> yeah. And Ethan Bach, who who also is on your show that covers basketball for us, uh, him and I had that experience, and that's still the joke. So it's good and it's bad. It yeah. can be bad because then you're working sometimes when no one else is because there's news at a weird hour. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's true. Uh, hey, let's uh, let's switch gears to Mountaineer football. I know you had an article that just came out uh, kind of taking a, a, a full look at the entirety of the season. Uh, it's up on WVSportsNow.com. I'm curious if, if you want to give us some of your takeaways from that piece and folks can go uh, check it out. But if you want to give some of your takeaways now that you had a chance to sit back and and that is kind of the beauty of this time of year, right? That we're able to sit back and take a long, long look at things and have a little bit more opportunity to kind of try to take a, a macro level approach to give me your your sort of uh, uh bird's eye view thoughts on this season for the Mountaineers. So I, I, I did do a commentary that's on WVSN, kind of what does the 2023 season really mean for WVU football? And it's actually still, uh, I believe, plastered there on, on the sticky on, on the site. So it's right there for you to go there. And I kind of also have taken that approach with commentaries mostly over the last several months where a lot of time something occurs you want to throw that up there. A lot of people want to throw it up there right away. I do kind of let it simmer, and I let this one simmer for about a week or so before writing at the end of the season. You really want to, you know, digest. Uh, otherwise, you're not really writing a commentary or a column as a journalist. You're kind of basically just getting knee-jerk and throwing hot takes up there unless you let it digest for a few days. So that's what I did with this. And it does go over multiple sides of the coin that we also discuss in this show. I really feel like in this piece, and it's a long one, I will admit. I, I really try to, you know, throw a mic drop, throw a mic drop on any of the potential arguments that, that are levied. And basically, number one, I did focus on the, the schedule. So people can say eight and four, six wins in conference play. But 
unlike 2022, where there were five ranked teams in the Big 12 that helped TCU get in the playoff despite not winning a conference title. The Big 12 this year, outside of Texas, who got in, was pretty down. I mean, Oklahoma was ranked most of the year, but they even had some rough times, and that's really the only other team you can know. Oklahoma State getting in the Big 12 title game, but they had a real bad loss to UCF. They lose to South Alabama. They got holes in their resume, too. But what I did bring up into that end, number one, that is a valid criticism. This is not like a season in which they went through Motorers Row. This eight wins in the Big 12 in 2023 is not eight wins in the SEC in 2010, where it was stacked and you had multiple teams that, that were arguably the greatest of the generation in that era of football. No, it is not the same. However, it's still good. And what I also will contend, what people don't want to hear that are on the strength of record argument, yes, West Virginia did not have to play Texas this year. They were a playoff team, 100%. That would have, I'll absolutely say, would have been a lot. I think Neil Brown, in his heart of hearts, knows they would have lost that game. However, they did have Penn State on the schedule. And there were only two other programs in the Big 12 this year, one of them being Texas, and it got him in the playoff with the win over Alabama. Obviously, that puts you out of conference play. And also Texas Tech, who played Oregon, in which having a legit out-of-conference game. The rest of them basically threw slop up there. And West Virginia didn't have Texas on the schedule. Yeah, they didn't have Kansas either, which likely would have lost, but not as guaranteed as Texas. But they did have Penn State. So for me, you could argue that Penn State on the schedule was, was a loss. They almost covered the spread, but they did not and still lost handily. Cancels out the argument of not having Texas on the schedule. Because while you want to play some legit teams and you don't just want Kimmy wins, I'm not saying play FCS every week, nobody else had a Penn State game on the out-of-conference schedule except those two schools I mentioned, an equivalent of, of Texas versus Bama and Texas Tech versus Oregon. They're the only other one. And then I also certainly detailed, and I also wrote another piece separate on this too, what this season can mean if you retain players, if you retain key players, if you do use the NAL money that's been built up and been promoted, and Country Roads Trust throws there on social media how many members, how much dollars they're raising, that's even separate from what donors and boosters like Ken Kendrick are throwing in there, etc. So that all doesn't mean a thing if you don't go ahead and get that player. And since I wrote this commentary, it's been able to be legitimized by the trust and WVU retaining Rodney Gallagher, Jaheim White, who was the guy that we talked about on this show a week or so ago, that they had to bring back. He's in. Eric Green's obviously coming back, saying anyone can call him and he won't even listen, etc. Traylon Ray is coming back. They got horses and the core group of players, especially on offense, that they had to bring back, they are bringing back. So, number one, if they didn't have this winning season, they would have moved on from coaches. They would have moved on from Brown. Maybe you wanted that, but they did enough to have this be a good year. It is not a great year, but it is a good year. And a ninth win in a bowl game, granted, it is a bowl game, and North Carolina is now without their quarterback and playmaker in the game is still going to be a ninth win. That would be the best win-loss year since the 2016 season with Daniel Holgerson, where he won 10. So there's, there's good and bad. There's positives and negatives. I went through it. I'm not going to 
you know, go through all 2,000 words for you. It's on the site. But that's kind of what I mostly hit on, two sides of most of those arguments and how they can be argued both ways. <laughs> and I kind of have prided myself over the years. I feel like I can argue a side that I don't even agree with. So I kind of did that in this piece to give everybody something. And I, I think I dropped the mic on the 2023 season, which is regular season-wise, at least behind the Mountaineers now, but there is the whole game ahead. We will talk about that bowl game and the news about Drake May and a couple of other UNC players in just a moment. Uh, one other thing I was just curious about, and this is tough. With, without doing sort of the, the deep dive research, I, I'm, I know this is tough, but I am curious on just sort of a gut feeling. Did you take the, these eight wins in this Big 12 over eight wins in the Big East any day of the week, right? Well, that's another point, and I did bring up that a little bit, that a lot of the same people that are upset about eight wins in this Big 12 because they bring up, okay, you beat a lot of teams that are down, and you did have the Houston loss, which is really, really bad. Forget the Hail Mary. It was bad all the way through. Even should have beat Oklahoma State, blowing that game at the end. But, yeah, the, a lot of the other seasons and big win totals, including even an 11-win year, were built up on a lot of bad competition. So, yeah, I know West Virginia and out of conference play at one point played LSU, and they did have some legit games in there. But West Virginia ran through an old Big East that was not that deep. There were maybe one or two great teams that year. Rutgers, who for a hundred years couldn't get in the bowl game, was able to contend in that old Big East. That should tell you something. And. Yeah, winning it is still a big deal. The West Virginia program has 15 overall conference titles, I believe seven of them overall in the Big East throughout generations. That is a very high number if you look historically. There are historic programs like Pitt, et cetera, that have way less. Pitt has three through their history, and they both have the same money years independence. So that, that shows you West Virginia took advantage of a weak conference they were in for a while and were able to become a national contender and win what Pat McAfee calls the BCS Bowls championships. They won them. And to their credit, if they would have got in those BCS games as a later top 25 ranked team, ran through the Big East, and then got blown out in those games, people would be able to say it was a fraudulent situation and the conference was like a group of five and they basically were UCF, which nobody really counts. They're, they're claiming a title. But the difference is they won those bowl games. And they won them in impressive fashion. So they, they showed that they're just as good as some others around the country and other conferences, but the win-loss record was still benefited on a weaker schedule at that time that people now forget about, and they just talk about wins and losses. And it's something that I've told you before, that Neil Brown is much more of an historian of the program that people give him credit for, even though he always says, you know, I'll give credit to people who, who have been here and studied it. He knows, because some of the comments he makes, you can tell that man is a little bit upset at the criticism he gets for wins and losses, which are not good, and he deserves criticism in comparison of other coaches who did not have to deal with what he had to deal with, whether it be everything else going on in college football that other coaches do too, but still didn't happen 20 years ago, and schedule, which is much tougher now. Uh, again, 11 power fives. Like Liberty, who went undefeated, Alex, they played zero. Played zero. <laughs> so, yeah, their group of five is a different story. But, yes, that, that's absolutely valid, too, that I do not think enough people talk about when they try to, you know, glamorize the Rich Rodriguez era or even some of Dana or even some of Don Nalen. 
the schedule was not that hard. And the reason why they didn't get in the de facto national title game in 93 and Florida State and Bowden got in and he won his first title, despite them being undefeated, is the opposite of the playoff conversation this year in terms of Florida State, where West Virginia had the undefeated season, but in a much easier schedule with like one quality win. Florida State played a much tougher schedule, put the Bama resume up there, and they took Florida State that year. It's kind of the reverse of this year. It's kind of funny. But that's valid, too. Yeah, hey, one note on that. Uh, I was looking through college football reference, uh, their uh, their strength of schedule rating. If you look at it this year, it was 55th in th- strength of schedule, West Virginia. In 1993, uh, their strength of schedule rating for West Virginia was 54th. And the big difference, and I wonder if people have spotted it, there are 27 more teams in college football this season uh, than there were in 1993. Uh, that was, of course, uh, so 30 years we've added 27 uh, teams. Not exactly added 27 because some have left and, and some have obviously been added. But right. uh, So that's worth noting as well. Hey, so let's, let's talk about this bowl game for a second. So UNC is looking like they're going to be down seven starters. I know that for those who care about uh, the Vegas betting lines, those have been moving in West Virginia's favor. Uh, there are going to be four Tar Heel starters who are not participating as they are entering and preparing for the NFL draft, including quarterback Drake May, wide receiver Tez Walker, linebacker Cedric Gray, and center Corey Gaynor. The big one there really being quarterback Drake May, who is right now competing uh, to potentially be the number one overall pick in the draft with Caleb Williams from USC. And then meanwhile, uh, tight ends John Copenhaver and Bryson Nesbitt are expected to miss the game due to lower body injuries, as well as Elijah Huzzle, who missed the season finale against NC State. So seven starters will not be available for UNC in this game. Um, It's always tough to contextualize bowl games have we come up with like a good, a good firm? Like, like at this point, it's just really about a, a win is nice. You know what I mean? But like, ultimately when you're looking at a team that's down all these guys, it's an exhibition game essentially uh, at this point. How do you contextualize this? If you're, if you're a fan, like you, you can't really take a lot from this, right? I always say you shouldn't. And really this goes to really any, any bowl game outside the playoff these days, but I could give you, if it's a New Year's Six Bowl game, like, for example, Penn State last year, they weren't in the playoffs. They've been knocking at the door forever. They're probably getting the 12-teamer at some point. But they won the Rose Bowl. And as historic as Penn State is as a program, Joe Paterno won one. They now have won two. Is that as insane as that sounds? And Obviously, they weren't in the Big Ten, the whole history of their program, and different tie-ins to that game. But because of that fact, that is, if I had Penn State, fans admit this to me, my wife admitted to me, okay, I'm mad about the, you know, losing to the rivals all the time, but Joe Paterno wins one Rose Bowl in 50-plus years. Let's go win a second one. That's a gigantic deal. So if you do that, okay, that's a big deal. You can treat it like a, a championship or a championship of some kind and have a trophy there. But if you're in the bowl game that now West Virginia is in and you're in the Duke's Mayo Bowl, no. I highly doubt that winning the Duke's Mayo Bowl, Alex, is going to result in West Virginia putting a trophy. If you've ever been down to the area where the facility is, and it's very, very nice, you can see them all lined up at the window in terms of the ones they care about. They won more overall than these, but these are the ones they care about. One of them is the Orange Bowl trophy where they actually literally replenish it with oranges and spend thousands of dollars replenishing with oranges. And Again, it's athletic money, not school money. But they're not going to do that. For the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I don't think you're going to see a big bottle of Duke's Mayo standing there that you can walk through and, and, and see through, from the street through the window. But 
nine wins is still nine wins. Now, I could have a whole other debate, Alex, where we could talk all day, that I could argue your win in the bowl game should not count towards your, regular, towards your overall season record. I mean, I could see career record like it does in the NFL. That's part of your career wins. But your career stats don't count in, in pro sports, what you do in the playoffs. It's a totally separate slate. But for college sports, they're thrown in there. You've already had individual awards. You've already had the Heisman. The portal window's now open. This should just be a to- – it should be treated as if it's an NFL playoff game. It should have nothing to do with the regular season at all. They do group it in for a nine-win year. That is kind of absurd. And when you play a team that is down their playmakers, that is down their best players, and Drake May is not a surprise. Everyone expected it, but it's now official. Kez Walker's the receiver that you're alluding to that had the eligibility issue that is a guy who led them in receiving despite missing four games and is a stud, that it's also going to take some away. You know how the fans are, too. Let's be honest. They win this game. People are going to say, hmm. Okay, that's nice, better than losing it, but Drake May didn't play. I'm not going to give you a parade over that. They lose this game. People are going to say, ah, it's an indictment of the 8-4 in four season. It's not that good. They played nobody. The guy had a, they had a backup QB in, and they lose. I wanted to win this bowl game. Ah, man, it's, it's Neil Brown era. It's the embodiment of that. So you could argue, while Neil Brown said they were in a perfect situation because they're going to their 40th major bowl game, which is top 25 all-time, North Carolina's going to the 38th. It's a major conference team. It's a long-tenured program. There's fans, etc. Uh, now, because Drake May and all these players aren't being there, and now some more than just who we thought because of injury, I don't know if this perfect situation exists anymore. The, the steam of this probably has been dissipated, and celebrating it probably has gone down. However, it's still a bowl game and does mean something. But I, I do think the transfer portal era... And I've always contended that if coaches have been screwing kids for generations, so kids are now making it fair, but it it has arguably ruined bowl season. Like, I even saw someone ask this to Brent McMurphy the other day, and he literally told him publicly, I don't have an answer for you on how to save bowl season. Because some have asked me, well, why open the portal window if you're going to count stats and wins and all of that? Why open the portal window before the bowl? Because now it delegitimizes the bowl game like you're arguing. And my comeback to that is, I agree it would be great if it didn't exist before the bowl and we could have the bowl be part of the season more. But they have to do this now because then they go into an off period. Then they have another window in the spring. Then you go into blue-gold game. You go into you need to have the window after spring practice in case people don't make rosters so they can go elsewhere. This is the time or else you have the other windows too close together or you wouldn't get one at all since before the season, which wouldn't be fair either now. So I don't know what the answer is. You have to have a window now. It is insanely crazy. You could maybe make it shorter, but it has kind of ruined bowl season. And with the playoff, which is more fair than before, it has also taken away the bowl season. And once you get to 12 teams, it's going to make the bowl season even more irrelevant. Because imagine being a New Year's Six equivalent game, which they'll be part of the playoff, but being in a big bowl game when you're like, barely ranked at all because they're taking the top 12 teams like what is that really going to mean historically if you win a bowl game to that level like you win a gator bowl if they're not part of the 12 team playoff that's not going to be the same as winning the gator bowl when it was a new year's day bowl game and was considered a top five bowl game for the first hundred years of college football so it's still a mess and it's still a debate but that's how college football has always been 
Yeah. College football has literally always been a beauty pageant. It has never crowned a fair champion. There's always been controversy. And you talk about the amount of teams. The issue is, unlike the NFL, 130-plus teams cannot play each other <laughs> to, to really know who's better. Yeah. It can't happen. I, but, yeah, the bowl season has been delegitimized for sure. Uh, uh, definitely. And I will say it was uh, Bamani Jones was going off on folks on Twitter slash X because, I mean, he basically said there is no right answer at this point and that – um, I mean, I, I, his argument was that he thinks the playoffs are, I don't think he was a big fan of the, the playoff system as a whole. He thought the old system was fine since, as you kind of you alluded to. You could argue to, the BCS, if you're going to have this controversy, you might as well right. the BCS. Well, you could argue that. And it's, and it's worth noting that, as you alluded to, if you accept college football for its warts as this sort of beauty pageant that you alluded to, then it becomes a lot less weird to do it this way. But it is worth noting that from a, from a TV perspective, where the money in my mind probably is, the money is in games that matter. You just can't get random fans in my mind. And maybe I'm wrong about this. I don't think you can get enough random fans outside of the really serious diehard sickos. And maybe gambling changes this a little bit. But the real diehard sickos, and I, I love them because I used to be one of them, but to watch a random bowl game, like, like would I watch the Dukes-Mayo Bowl if West Virginia wasn't playing in it? There's very little chance that I would watch that bowl game. See, as much as that makes sense, the numbers don't really suggest that's true, which is why they keep adding bowl games, why there's more money there. You have to think of it this way. Yes, you normally wouldn't watch because you figure you don't care. Number one, because of gambling, people do bet on things that are completely irrelevant to them. So that does add to it and probably saves the bowl lineup because people would say, if you just had 12 games for the 12-team playoff, I want to bet on more stuff. So that's why, and then there's more money to be made there. But the other end of it is, on December 27th when West Virginia plays in the Duke Mayo Bowl at 5.30 p.m., Alex, I'll ask you this. Your options are threefold. You either watch the Duke Mayo Bowl, you watch something else, or you don't watch TV at all. And while it'd be great if people went out there and enjoyed the day, it's the winter on the East Coast. It's cold. So now you're back in. So now your decision is, I'm watching the Duke Mayo Bowl at 5.30 p.m., or I'm watching a movie, or I'm playing a board game, or I'm playing video games. Now it makes a lot more sense why people are watching the Duke Mayo Bowl. Like, if you're off from work, probably, and maybe you're not, but you're still, you know, maybe watching at your desk because you bet on it, that time slot, what else is on TV? This isn't July where you can go outside and, and play sports. It could be snow on the ground, and you're at home, and then the Duke Mayo Bowl's on. So it's a movie or Duke Mayo Bowl in many cases, and they're probably thinking the Duke Mayo Bowl is going to get enough ratings to legitimize. And that also is part of how West Virginia gets in some of these games and got traded to be in this game because they are a program that has so many fans around that, hey, even if it's an irrelevant bowl game, they're going to get more people to watch for West Virginia than they would for certain other programs. So I think that exists too, which is why you're never going to see bowl season really go away. And as we said, there's so many teams that there's a lot of teams that really never can win a national title, even with an expanded playoff. You have to have some reward for them financially for their season. But you also have to understand the way college football works even more than basketball. Like I would agree it's a beauty pageant and it's never been fair and it's been a mess always. I think what gets people mad is when you have teams – claiming national championships in what six <laughs> other teams claimed in that given season. Yes. When you have a UCF claim a national title when they played only one ranked team the entire season before the bowl. 
that does ruin a little bit because you're trying to argue your season was more than a piece Well, of let, Mike, let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Did USC three-peat in the late 2000s? In the mid to late 2000s, did USC three-peat, yes or no? Did USC? Yeah. The, according well, to them, they did. Depends. The argument is actually, I, I could argue, here's what I've said. They have one and a half national championships. Yeah, exactly. So they have one legitimate national championship that they won wholeheartedly. The other one, they did not get in the national title game despite romping them, and they won off They claim. Now, I will tell you, Alex, quickly, it's a little different than the UCF situation because they did claim it because the Associated Press, who everyone respects, had them as number one. So I don't have much of a problem with a claim or a share. Like, 97, you had that. Nebraska, half of their historic titles are off claims because the Associated Press gave them the ranking, and that's not a hot-take artist. That's writers who are eight right. years old that have right. been doing it forever. So if you have the AP, sure. If you have the UCF where the Collie Matrix is what you're claiming you're one off of, but our friend George Gerbo told me when I brought this up to him he had never heard of it before, and he covers the sport. So if that is your number one ranking and the AP still said no, the coaches poll still said no, the playoff, the DCS still said no, then it's completely ridiculous. <laughs> so if, if you get to that level, it's crazy. But USC did have the Associated Press arguing for them, so that's their benefit. But, yeah, it's really like one and a half. It's yeah. a weird early dynasty. Uh, uh, but that's the sport. <laughs> that is what it is. There are people who argue that if Florida State beats Georgia, they should claim a national championship, when now they're trying to sue, including DeSantis is involved in this, to get in the playoff. I would say... If you're going to claim it anyway, why do you want to be in? That would mean you have two games. This is one game. So it's that's messed up. <laughs> like it's, They should have been in for me, but now it's a backdoor route to a national title that's a harder route than the teams that actually got in. That, then, is unfair. Well, as a New York... There's no fix to this, though, as Bamani Jones, Brendan Murphy, Mike Osti are trying to say. There is no way I, to fix it. Yeah, I think you're right. As a New York Rangers fan, I will say uh, the Athletic had them as the number one team in their power rankings recently, so I'm claiming a Stanley Cup championship. Right, I'm going to be, we're, yeah, we're, that would be the, You might as well claim a championship. <laughs> I think that's very reasonable to do. We are claiming the first third of the season championship for, for 2020. Uh, three twenty-four. Anyway, Mike, I I appreciate it, man. You stuck out with us uh, way longer than I thought, uh, so uh, uh, appreciate it as okay. always. Uh, real quick before I let you go, uh, I know you have that article up, and I do encourage folks to go read it. It's a it's a it's a good piece. It's a lengthy piece, uh, but also, uh, what what do you got in the podcast front? <laughs> also, we're in the podcast realm. I did actually do a show that I have coming on my full thoughts on Mike Tomlin. If the era should come to an end. If it should be respected, and yes, it should be respected. If he's a Hall of Famer, what it means, his, his time in comparison to other generational coaches, etc. I went all through that. That's the most recent episode that will be up shortly. And then a lot more coming, of course, as we get through the winter. And I will say, Alex, to be fair, and many don't even realize this until I send them an actual picture from when I'm ever, whenever I'm at the Coliseum, just so you know, Yes, the football program is the winningest without claiming a national championship, even though some want to argue about 1922 and that they should claim that. Do you know the basketball program has now claimed a national championship? The basketball program claims the 1942 NIT title as a national title. The banner says that. I've had Michael Fergale show me the NCAA approval. So not to be a hypocrite, they've done the same thing, and the argument is, 
at that time, the NIT was a better tournament than the NCAA. It was very new. The number one ranked Mountaineers turned down to go to the NCAA because all the top ranked teams were in the NIT. They won it, and they got a top rank at the end of the year, despite not in the number one poll. And they now claim it as a national championship. So that that exists now that did not exist when we were in college. They they did not claim it at that point. They have claimed it now. No, they did that not. That is what you get when you're talking PC pageant. A hundred years later, eighty years later, programs can claim a national title, and the NCA even approves it. I love it. That's what's won. I love it. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna lob one from the cheap seats here, and I'll leave you with this. You and Alan Saunders can decide this one. Mike Tomlin, next head coach of the Washington Commanders. <laughs> that's always the team that if he, if he, if they do part ways, that would make sense. There's even some that have brought up a trade. Obviously, his roots there. I actually think it could be a fresh start for him and, and the Steelers. Look at the Andy Reid thing. It worked out for both of them. So yeah, yeah. we'll see. If I had to bet you, Alex, we're a betting world. I would bet that they just run it back and Tom was still coaching the Steelers next year. Yeah. But <laughs> crazier things have happened. Yeah. They did fire a coach midseason. They would never have done that before. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Mike, appreciate it, man. We will talk with you next week. Absolutely, man. Have a good day. See you. Bye. All right, that's Mike Osti of West Virginia Sports Now. Let's take a break. This is the Morning Spiel presented by Royal Water Treatment on 103.3 WKMZ. We'll wrap the show after this. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.